I want to invite you to the book of Romans this morning, the 8th chapter, if you'll turn there with me. And we welcome you. Happy Easter to all of you. It is, uh, it's been a great day. Had a wonderful first service this morning. It is good to have uh, not only my little grandson, who you met a moment ago, my daughter and her husband, Amanda and Albin, and then also my daughter from the Atlanta area, Amy, and her husband, Matthew, from uh, big, uh, the Georgia Bulldog area over here. It's good to have them here. And uh, my mom is here today and my sisters, so we welcome them. Good to have them here and so many of our family here for the day. And Easter's a great time for family. And uh, maybe some of you have some plans to go and eat uh, together, spend some time together today. I hope that you have a chance for, for that. Little Ernie was headed to Grandma's house and little Ernie got there and little Ernie got his plate, filled it up, sat down and started eating right away. And his mama said, uh, Ernest. What are you doing? You know we always say grace over the meal before we eat. Little Ernie looked at his mom and said, Yeah, but this is Grandma's house and she's a good cook. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know. I have to pray over that. I want, to, uh, I want to bring you up to date a little bit. I know this is a little bit different. Maybe you're a guest here today and we're so glad you're here. You're trying to figure out who we are as a church and whether or not this is your church home. So let's settle that. You found home. This is home. <laughs> now, now uh, you, you say, well, I don't know what to do. You guys, you, you applaud over an offering. That's true. We do. And that's kind of exciting. We lift our hands. That's true. We do that. You know, a lot of people do. But you feel free to worship as you would feel free to do. We are a community church with a Baptist heritage. And uh, I like to believe that uh, we just truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he's coming back and we don't want to get over it. And, uh, and so I think that's important that we keep that. So we, uh, we hope that you'll come back and join us if you're here today just kind of checking us out. Now we are in the middle of a series and this is a little bit odd. So I want to take a moment and explain to you what's happened. Back several weeks ago, even a few months ago, uh, when the Lord laid on my heart this whole series called More Than Conquerors, I, I sat down and I, and I said, you know, Lord, I said, we, we, uh, we're going to be, Easter is going to come like right in the middle of this thing. Like he didn't know that. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm, I'm sitting there in my study and I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, what? And he, and he drew my attention to where we were as far as where he put us uh, in, in uh, the order of things. And we knew that this subject that we're talking about today, which is our adversary, I knew that this would be the second half of that message. There was no way to get all of it in in one message. So I started looking at what God had laid on my heart and the fact that this message focuses and concentrates on the great victory over death and the devil in the resurrection of Jesus. And I thought, you know, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, there can't be a, a better emphasis on Easter. And so we just kept on going with the series. And so today we're going to uh, conclude uh, this uh, subject on our adversary. So if you missed out on the first message, don't worry, I'm going to bring you up to date so you're with us. And then I also want to encourage you, you can actually go online and you can watch that first sermon uh, at our, our website, which you'll see on the bottom of your study sheet if you happen to get a study sheet when you came in today. And so I hope that you'll do that. You can find some other messages there as well. So let me do this. Let me go back and do a little bit of review. Our series is based on Romans chapter 8, verse 37. I'll begin reading there. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him 
who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that a wonderful text? I love that text. Now last week we brought up and we mentioned 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the first two words of that next verse, verse 9, resist him. And that's really what this whole uh, lesson is about and what we talked about last week. But let me define for you again the word adversary. It literally means enemy or opponent. And let me share with you these these uh, percentages, this poll that was taken, a Gallup poll that was done. I brought these to your attention last week, but in case you missed that, let me give them to you. I'm sort of astounded by them. 89% of Americans believe that there is a God. 61% believe that there is a devil. Now that's almost shocking to think that some 40% of our people in our community do not believe that there is a literal devil, an adversary, Satan, the old serpent, the tempter, all those terms that refer to him. 71% believe there's a heaven, and 64% believe there's a hell. I'm, I'm intrigued by more people believe there's a hell than that they believe there's a devil. But nonetheless, that's what, uh, that's what the statistics showed. And, and so keep that in mind as we go into this, because we have an adversary. The Bible names him. His name is, of course, the devil. Now, what does that have to do with the resurrection? Well, I'm going to get into that with you. And before I do, I want us to pray. Because any time, and by the way, let me just say this to you. I don't preach a lot on this subject. I've been pastoring well over 30 years, and I very rarely ever preach on this subject. One of the reasons I don't preach on it is it invites a lot of attention that I just simply don't want. And, uh, but I think that what God laid on my heart in reference to this series was that we need, to, we need to face this and we need to conquer him and realize that we can do that, that we can live victorious lives as Christians. And so let me do this with you. Let's pray, and then I want to read to you from the book of Matthew. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we ask for you to work among us again today as you have been, Lord. We just praise you and thank you for what you've already done in our hearts. And Lord, we lift up this message to you. We lift up this time to you. We pray that you would bless us, Lord, with very limited distractions, Lord. Just cause the distractions to go away. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be powerful and personal. We pray for the precious blood of Christ to cover us and protect us as we talk about this topic, Lord. That you would put on us the armor of God that you mentioned in your word in Ephesians 6. And God, I pray, bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew chapter 16, we find an interesting passage of Scripture, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and notice this, and be raised the third day. Now keep that in mind. So the focus here is, I'm going to go, I'm going to give my life, Jesus said, but I'm going to come back to life on the third day. I'm going to raise from the dead. Now immediately... Verse 22, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now that's an interesting verse of Scripture, and it's, it's something. Why, why, did, uh, why did Jesus say to Peter, 
Get behind me, Satan. Why did he use that term? Why did he say that? Uh, because the Bible tells us that he was looking for something that was of man but not of God. That man had his own plans. Literally, one particular um, writer said it this way, that, that he was out to bring human glorification to Jesus. And this was not a matter of human glorification. You see, the Jews all thought that the Savior was coming so that the Savior could set up political authority and rule and, and rescue them, save them, if you'll permit me to say it that way, from the Romans. They were not looking for forgiveness of sin. They were not looking for a spiritual Savior, although that's who Jesus was. And so the Bible says to have that type of mentality is in line with what Satan wants more than it is with what God wants. In our first lesson, uh, I gave you four of the eight reconnaissance points. And let me rehash them with you for just a minute, okay? If you were here before, you would have gotten these. If not, uh, you will uh, be brought up to speed somewhat for today's lesson as we talk about the last four. Last week, we talked about our adversary's design. We said in that point that he was a created being. He was an angel. He was a cherubim. Now, the Bible tells us that in, in several places, but it says in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, I'll not go back and go through all of that, but he is not God. He is not God. He is nothing like God. He has none of the attributes of God. He's an angel of the order of the cherubims. And so keep that in mind. He does not have any of the attributes in that he is not omniscient. He does not know your thoughts. Sometimes you give yourself away by what you say. And he's got a whole lot of deputies out there that we're going to talk about in a second. But, uh, but uh, he doesn't know your thoughts. He is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. Last week we brought up that that's why he petitioned for the organization of the group called mother-in-laws. Because he couldn't be everywhere at once. <laughs> My mother-in-law was in the early service. So anyway. So the design, we talked about that. His defiance. In Ezekiel, the Bible tells us in the 28th chapter that he was perfect from the day he was created, but iniquity was found in him. In Isaiah 14, he said, he cried out, I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. So he defied and rebelled. And then we talked about his descent, his being cast out. And, and literally, he fell and, and was in the Garden of Eden. And that's where we find him early in the pages of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 where he is tempting Eve, who in turn uh, gives to Adam the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we talked about his deputies. We said there were two main groups of his army, if you will. One of them were the fallen angels. About a third, or, or literally a third of the angels, the, they're, they're innumerable, so we don't know how many angels that actually is, but a third of them fell with him. I happen to believe that they were created to follow him anyway. As an anointed cherub, he was the prince of the power of the air. That's not a derogatory term, like the term Satan or devil, meaning slanderer and deceiver. But the prince of the power of the air was no doubt his title before he fell. And so we talked about his deputies. You had fallen angels, and then you had demons. Demons are different than the fallen angels. Some people believe they are one and the same, but yet there's a verse that talks about in, uh, in the book of Acts that talks about it. The Sadducees, the Bible says, they did not believe in angels or spirits which separate the spirits from the angels. 
Angels can manifest themselves in physical form. Demons cannot. They only take on the possession of people according to what the scriptures say. So there's a difference. By the way, we're going to do a study, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday night on that subject where we believe they came from. So we want to invite you to what's called the candlestick series on Wednesday night. We're going to be dealing with that subject where we believe those spirits actually came from. And so we dealt with all that last week, and today we're going to jump into point number five of our eight reconnaissance, and let's talk about our adversary's domain, his domain. What exactly is he in charge of? What does he rule over? Does the Bible actually deal with that? And it does. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 4, we find these words, "...whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe." lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Notice the phrase, God of this age. In the Old English, the phrase is God of this world. So is he really in charge of the world? Well, according to the scripture, he is. Now, this is only for a limited time. So, so let's, let's understand. Now, every now and then, and perhaps here today, there's somebody who would, who would like to ask this question, or maybe you have asked it to other people. I get asked it on occasion. Pastor, if, uh, if God is so powerful like you say, and the devil is so horrible like we all know, then why doesn't God just snap his fingers and crush him and get, do away with him? Wouldn't that be great? And it would. But God has a timeline. God has a schedule. I am not God. You are not God. We can't figure all of that out. But we know there's a schedule. How do you know that? Well, there's a passage like Matthew 8 and verse 29 where Jesus encounters one of the demons. And the demon says in that verse, it says, Have you come to torment us before the time? What does he mean? Before the scheduled time, before according to your plan. And the answer, of course, was no. So he allows evil to run. Listen, we are in an unredeemed world. And there's a time frame that the devil is in charge of some stuff around here. There's no question about it. Let me take you for a moment to a text that is probably familiar to many of you. And that is in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, we have a passage known as the temptation of Jesus. You remember when, when Satan tried to tempt Jesus himself? And there were several things that he had said and done in that text. I'm going to read to you just a little bit of the passage. We'll begin with verse 1. And it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now jump down to verse 8 with me. Again, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now, understand what he's showing him. And, and the Bible doesn't say exactly how he did this, but he was showing him all the kingdoms of the world. This is all of the empires that would ever be. This is all of, of, of the authority, the, the positions of, of rulership that could ever exist. And the devil says this to him. He said, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, I want you to consider this. I want you to consider not only what the devil said, not only what Jesus says, but I want you to understand what Jesus did not say. Follow it with me. So if you'll bow down and worship me, Satan said, I'll give you all of these kingdoms of the world and all of the glory that goes with it. So Jesus then said in verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I want you to notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, they are not yours to give. If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of the kingdoms of the world. 
Jesus never rebuked him for that and said, wait a minute, you, don't, you can't give these things. It's because he can give those things. And I want to say to you, ladies and gentlemen, it is no secret that some people have given their, their souls over. They have, as some people would say today, the term we use is they have sold their soul to the devil. Now make, make very clear that while you may experience, people who have done this may experience the wealth and blessings of this age, they will suffer eternal damnation as a result of it. So I encourage you not to, not to do such a thing, not to make such of a tragic, tragic mistake. The truth of the matter is, the reason why the devil could offer that is because he has been given that authority for this time period for this time period should we be worried about that then because there is a God of this world that uh, has control over things well first of all we need to remember that he is limited and that in the story of Job, we find that limitation. Don't you remember that as the angels came to come before God and Satan came before God and Job became the object of, of the discussion? That God controlled how much he could touch Job with. And God will do that in your life. He controls that. There's great peace that I find in 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. You are of God little children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Amen. So let us understand that. Focus on the family. There was an article recently done by Focus on the Family that focused in on um, the fastest growing religious movement in the United States. And in young people, I really need your attention for a moment as I talk about this because it's affecting our young people more than anybody else. It is a group that has grown in followers from 1990 to uh, from about 8,000 followers to the most recent numbers are somewhere around 340,000 followers. It is a religious movement known as Wicca. Wicca. Now what has caused the embrace of such a thing is television shows and movies like Buffy and The Craft and Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Charmed and Practical Magic and Let's Not Leave Out Harry Potter. All of these things tend to make witchcraft sort of warm and fuzzy. Wicca is defined as a combination, listen, a combination of witchcraft, occultism, and neo-paganism. Now what are those things and what do they mean? Witchcraft is of course the use of spells and sorcery. Occultism involves the practice of astrology, alchemy, divination, seances, Ouija boards, all to tap into what can be called unseen knowledge. Neo-paganism is loosely defined as the worship of nature. So you have young people who are involved in this thing, particularly young girls. They get involved in this thing and today it's not uncommon uh, to run into somebody who, who calls themselves a witch. And they cast spells. Now they will say they do it for good. But there's an evil that is involved in this thing that we need to pay attention to. You say, what is God's opinion of all of this? Well, God does have an opinion. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse number 10 reads this way. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. Or one who practices witchcraft. A soothsayer. Or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer. Or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. 
For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, this thing is on the move in our country, and we need to stop and pay attention. And as Christians, we need to be aware that this is part of the movement that the devil is doing in our nation. Don't allow it into your life. Young people particularly, don't allow it into your life. Ask God to deliver you from it if you've already been involved in it. The sixth point, the second for today, but the sixth on our list of reconnaissance points is our adversary's devices. Devices. Now the Bible reads this way in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now the word devices in the uh, Greek literally refers to purposes or thoughts, their mind or their intent. So we could say that what the Bible is saying here is, don't be ignorant of his intent, of his purpose. Now without a doubt, there are some here today who uh, uh, may, maybe not physically, but inside, deep inside, you just roll your eyes up at this kind of a lesson and this sort of thought. And you don't think there's anything to it. Now you're the one that's most susceptible to the deception, by the way. Now you, you, there are two extremes on this subject and we need to address them. One is, uh, the extreme is, when you, when you engulf yourself in the study of this stuff, uh, dealing with the enemy and the devil and the demons until you are immersed in it and it causes you great heartache and problems. I don't recommend that. The other extreme is where you ignore it altogether and you don't see that the problems you're going through in your marriage and the problems you're going through with your kids and the problems you're having in society and with your job and personally that you are dealing with and some of the addictions that we talked about a few weeks ago, you don't understand that it all has to do with the enemy who has an intent, who has a purpose and his purpose is to destroy you and destroy your family. That's his purpose. So the Bible says don't be ignorant of it. The word ignorant is an interesting word. It doesn't mean stupid. It means that you don't have knowledge of. There are many things I don't have knowledge of. There are many things I could be considered to be totally ignorant of. I don't understand them. But there are other things that I understand. And so the Bible is saying this. Don't be ignorant about his intents and his purpose and all that he's doing around you trying to destroy your family and destroy your testimony and destroy your life. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 5, and he mentioned this. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, I, I wrote to find out if you're doing all right spiritually, because the truth of the matter is the tempter is out to cause you to fall away from the Lord. There's a great number of people today in our community that are unchurched. Many who come to our services today may typically be classified as unchurched. Now, many of them will tell you things like this. I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. Maybe you haven't found the right one yet until today. Amen. Amen. There is no perfect church, by the way. You've heard the saying, if, there, if you ever find one, stay out of it because you'll mess it up. But the truth of the matter is... There is no perfect church. I'm not a perfect pastor. I know that's a shock to some of you, but it's true. No perfect pastor, no perfect church. People are going to mess. They, listen, the church is not perfect and it has problems because people are not perfect and people have problems and the church are just the people. But being together, trying to fight off the enemy and understanding the strength we can get from one another is where we ought to be. 
So many times the devil succeeds in tempting us to stay away. Giving us a reason not to come. Giving us something else that's in the way. And we don't even realize what's happening. What's happening is we drift farther and farther away. And we get further away from God. And when things happen in our life, we don't think right away to turn to God. We instead turn to other things and look for the answers in ourselves. Only to find ourselves one day wondering, how did I get where I am? I'll tell you how. It wasn't because somebody said something that you didn't like at church. It was because the devil's been working on you for a very long time. And maybe you didn't see it coming. The tempter has tempted you. Paul said, I want to know that everything's okay. Listen, if the devil tempted Jesus himself in Matthew 4 when he became weak and fatigued after many days of fasting, what do you think he'll do to you? He'll get you weak and fatigued and before you know it, he will bombard you. And you've got to be able to understand what is coming your way. General Lori Robinson of the U.S. Air Force, she happens to be the commander of the Northern Command. She made a statement in relation to North Korean, our North Korean leader, uh, Kim Jong-un. I, I had trouble pronouncing his name in the first service. I just called him the crazy guy. That's, uh, <laughs> that's about what it amounts to, but been interesting if those of you have been following the news know that there's been all kinds of threats and all sorts of stuff that's been going on and she made this statement she told lawmakers she was extremely confident of the U.S. capability to intercept an intercontinental ballistic missile she said we're we're capable of that and then she made this statement listen to it I read it to you obviously it has to do with with some politics involved in her military strength but it also can be applied to the spiritual war that you and I are in as adversaries she says as adversaries continue to pursue credible and advanced capabilities we too must evolve our missile defense capabilities to outpace increasingly complex threats you know what she's saying let me apply it this way the more ways that the devil can figure out to come against you, the more radar you need to have out there and the more you got to hone in on things so that you're not ignorant of the attacks that are coming your way. Amen. Yeah. Put up your spiritual radar. Look for it. Understand it. You get up in the morning and you put on the armor of God we talked about several weeks ago. You put it on your kids. You put it on your spouse. And then you go out into the world. Listen, far too many people are going out ignorant of the devices. And we're being bombarded and we don't even know what's going on. We say, what in the world is happening? I'll tell you what's happening. You have an adversary. And he's out to destroy you. So put out your radar. Be aware of what's going on. Perhaps one of my favorite points of all eight of these is number seven, which we're going to call our adversary's defeat. Our adversary's defeat. Yes. Today is a day in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Yes. That's why we meet on Sunday, by the way. It's called the Lord's Day in the Scripture. You ever wondered about that? Why do we trans, uh, transform from the Saturday service to a Sunday service? When they used to meet on the Sabbath, the last day, now we meet on the first day of the week. Jesus set the pattern when he met with his disciples after his resurrection. And thereafter, the disciples would gather on the first day of the week. So we gather today and every Sunday in honor of the resurrection of Jesus. One scholar said it this way, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you need to pay attention to everything he says. If he did not raise from the dead, then you need to discard everything he says. So I ask you today, ladies and gentlemen, what will you do? Will you pay attention to everything he says? 
You believe he rose from the dead? The Bible says he did. Billy Graham was quoted as having said as he stood before a congregation on an Easter Sunday. He said, our churches are filled today because the tomb is empty today. Amen. And so I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, this is the absolute foundation of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It defeated Satan. There's no question about it. Let me read it to you from the scripture. The Bible says, first of all, he's declared to be the son of God with power. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. By that very thing, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. When Jesus came back to life, it literally declared him to be the son of God. Make no mistake about it. He is the son of God. And that one act must be dealt with. Hebrews chapter, tw uh, chapter 2 and verse 14 in the book of Hebrews. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that is, he took upon him human flesh, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Yeah. Do you know the devil actually has been given power of death? That's what the Bible says. He's been given it. As a matter of fact, death only exists because sin was brought into the race of mankind. For the wages of sin is death. Now there are two types of death the Bible describes. There's the physical death and then there's the eternal death. The eternal death is also called the second death, according to the scriptures in the book of Revelation. Somebody said it this way, if you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. That is, if you've ever been born again, you've been given eternal life and there is life after death. But physical death has been given. Satan has power over death. Still, he has, to, he has to only do and he's restricted and limited based on what God allows him to do. But the Bible tells us things like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Say, Pastor, what did you just read? If you were to go earlier in that text, you will find that this is a man who has an unrepentant, sinful life. He's involved in a grievous sin. And he's not going to get it right. And he's been arrogant about his sin. So Paul said, what, what we're going to do is, here's what you need to do. You need to commit this person over to Satan. For what? For the destruction of the body so that the soul will be saved. In other words, you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your life. Are you hearing me? You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your life. And the devil can come against you to do that. Now Jesus made this statement, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now that's of course God. God's the only one that's in charge of the soul. Amen? And so this is important. Important thing indeed. You say, well, what exactly happened? Well, when Jesus died on the cross and he was buried and he rose from the dead, he defeated, he destroyed him who had power over death. You're familiar with the text in 1 Corinthians 15, no doubt, beginning in verse 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If I could summarize that bottom portion and connect it to our theme, it would be, Paul said, remember you are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Because of the resurrection. Clarence Hall made this statement. The resurrection of Jesus changes the faces of death for all his people. Death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. Easter says you can put truth in a grave, but it won't stay there. You can nail it to a cross, wrap it in winding sheets, and shut it up in a tomb, but it will rise. It will rise. And indeed, Jesus lives. I want to close out this topic of our adversary in this sermon today with the eighth reconnaissance point. Our adversary's destiny. Destiny. Now that he's been defeated, still letting him roam on the earth and have domain, but the time is going to come, the Bible says, when he will go to a place that is prepared for him. And the Bible tells us exactly where that place is or what that place is. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, the Bible reads, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now I want you to get this. You're here today and you say, Preacher, I just don't know if I buy all this stuff. Maybe, maybe you're in that category of people who doesn't believe there is a hell. Uh, that large number of people in the community. You say, I just don't think God, being a God of love, would ever send anybody to hell. Well, let me explain something to you. The lake of fire was not built for the souls of men. It was built for the devil and his angels. That doesn't mean that the souls of people will not go there. What it does mean is it was not the original intention of it. It was not the intent of the lake of fire for people to go there. You see what God wanted. Let me explain this. We all know this, but let me just clarify. What God wanted from the beginning was a people who would love him and a people who would be in a relationship with him. And that's the way it was at the beginning. But then something happened called sin. And with sin, it brought death and separation from God. And so God, looking at man, said, what do I do? How can I do? What should I do? The only thing I can do is I'll send my son and I will redeem them. I will buy them back. And it was an awful price. The price of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary was the price. So Jesus died in our place for our sin. And he was buried and paid the price. But then he conquered death and he rose from the dead. Now here's the thing, God never intended when he made man for man to ever end up in the lake of fire, but because of the choices of man, the Bible then tells us later, there will be some who do end up there. But let me tell you a little bit more about this place called the lake of fire. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 20. I'm going to have to give you a little bit of background on this verse in a moment, but read with me, verse 20. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Did you catch that? The beast and the false prophet cast alive. Now let's do this. Let me me explain to you this. At, At our church, we believe... That, that we are in what could be called the church age. And this church age is going to end with the rapture of God's people. That is, Jesus is going to return in the air and we are going to be taken out. 
And then there will be a seven-year period on the earth, known as the tribulation period, while the seven-year period in heaven, known as the marriage supper of the Lamb, is going on. At the end of that seven years, and I know this is not a message on eschatology, but you need to understand what we just read. At the end of that seven years, the Antichrist, in our text called the beast, and the false prophet, who was the antitype of the Holy Spirit, will be cast into the lake of fire. So that's at the end of the tribulation period. Now God does something. He sets up his reign on the earth at the end of the tribulation period for 1,000 years. We call that the millennial reign. Look with me, Revelation 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now get this picture. End of the tribulation period, the beast and the false prophet, the antichrist and, and the false prophet, they're cast in the lake of fire. Now Satan is bound and he remains bound in a bottomless pit for 1,000 years. Now let's jump forward to verse 10, Revelation 20. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now wait a minute. If I'm doing this correctly and understand my Bible correctly, they have been there now for a thousand years. They were there at the end of the tribulation period when Satan was put in the bottomless pit at the beginning of the millennial. And now a thousand years later, he's been loosed, tried to rally the armies against God. God has judged him and now he is sent to the lake of fire. Notice what the Bible says. Where the beast and the false prophet are. Not where they were, not where they used to be. Where they are for a thousand years. Make no mistake about it. The lake of fire is an awful, awful place. I cannot do it justice. There are two things you really need to know about the lake of fire. Number one, you don't want to go there. Amen. Number two, you don't have to. You don't have to. But if you reject what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary, you will. You will. You say, I don't like that kind of preaching. You'll appreciate it one day. Because there'll never be a time when you say to anybody later on, I never heard that. And there'll be people who ask that question. Revelation chapter 20, the Bible talks about a great white throne judgment taking place. And books are open. And one of those books is the Lamb's book of life. And the Bible says in verse 14, Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse 15 says, Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I don't have time to elaborate on the book of life and the Lamb's book of life. I believe they're one in the same book. But I, I believe that that's written before the foundation of the world. And the only way to stay in that book... That's why I believe children are protected, by the way, because their names are already there. But once you reject Jesus as your Savior for the final time, when is that? I don't know. Maybe it's today. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was last Easter. Maybe it was last Christmas. I don't know. But if you're feeling a tug in your heart toward accepting Christ as your Savior, then act on that because the time may come when you are not given the opportunity. You're saying you're trying to scare me into heaven. I'll get you there any way I can get you there. But I'm telling you, hell is real. The lake of fire is real. 
And make no mistake about it. The Bible talks about it. The devil will spend eternity there. It was originally prepared for him and his angels. And those who have followed him rather than those who have followed God will spend forever there. Now the truth is, if you trust Christ as your Savior, you don't have to worry about it. As a matter of fact, if you're saved today and you've been born again, let me encourage you to do this in the way of concluding our lesson. Let me remind you that you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 10. Paul's prayer was that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So let me just say this to you today, if I could please. What Jesus did on the cross of Calvary and when he was buried and rose from the dead, we depict following him and having had that same type of experience in our life when we trust Christ as our savior the old man is gone and there is a new person that comes forth a new creature in Christ we show that picture in baptism although baptism is not does not wash away our sin it it portrays that picture the old man is dead and the new person has been resurrected and we are to walk we are to live listen to me in the resurrected life so if you're here today and you've been saved and you haven't been living the resurrected life, let me encourage you. Listen, you don't have to live a defeated life. You don't have to live a discouraged life. You're a, a born-again believer and the Bible says this, you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved you. So live like a conqueror. How do you do that? Two things you need to remember. Number one, lay hold on eternal life. Make sure you're saved. That's the first and foremost thing. And then secondly, live the exchanged life. Paul said it, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he talked about it. The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let Christ live through you. Let him live through you. And experience every day, day in and day out, what it means to be more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me please for a moment while heads are bowed and eyes are closed.